You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lintonello. Good morning, fans. Well, well, he's motoring on a giorno, as you say. <laughs> so, hi, up here, high atop the Blue Ridge, uh, the house is buried in a huge fog bank this morning. Uh, temperature in the 40s, the leaves are changing, and it's time for a frosty Dr. Pepper. So, ah, I heard you crack it open. I, yes, indeedy. I mean, it is down to about, uh, I keep these things at about 37 degrees. It's just perfect, you know? 37, huh? I'm, I'm having my usual uh, hot cup of Irish breakfast tea that I get imported from uh, from Ireland, and it's absolutely fabulous. And uh, hey, laddie. you're not going to believe what I you're not going to believe what I saw on the highway the other day. I saw two tractor trailers, you know, car transport trailers, loaded with these late model Hondas and stuff like that, and they all had those tiny little wheels that are canted in like 45 degrees on an angle, touching right. the fender wells. I mean, how stupid is that? <laughs> upset the hand. I, you know, I hate to make fun of other segments of the hobby because they all need to join and be together. But how stupid is that? I mean, you're ruining the whole suspension of the car and you're not steering it correctly or handling it right because the tires are only on their inside, you know, edge. I mean, am I missing something about those that whole movement? You know, I, I guess I need to... <laughs> Look it up. I, I'm, I'm thinking those things are for drifting. Maybe I don't. I don't know. You know, I'm I'm out of the loop. Uh, although uh, I did, uh, my friend, God rest his soul, Steve McDonald, who is the uh, VP of Legislative Affairs for SEMA, uh, had me out there, and he's like, "I got something for you. You need to do it." And I'm like, huh, okay. Well, out in front, they have all these cars that are usually just charging around um, out there in this arena. And uh, they came over, and he's like, get in. I was like, oh, okay. So I got in. I spent, I don't know, 25 minutes in a a drifting car, a uh, Mustang Shelby. It was pretty interesting. It it, it was like being on a never-ending... Amusement park ride, best way to describe it, but with but with really bad, stinky, rubber burning smell, and you're literally uh, the was permeating everything. Even though you know um, you were closed up, but yeah, no, it was it was kind of cool. But I can't imagine just wanting to do that all the time. Um, I don't know. Yeah, just don't. But see it. those cars. Those cars that they use for drifting have uh, correct suspension. The suspensions aren't canted in 45 degrees. So I 
I just can't imagine how one of the abominations, uh, you know, can <laughs> Tell us I, how you really I, feel, I, Richard. <laughs> how do you feel about I, these? I, <laughs> you know, I wish I could talk to some of these owners to find out why they do this and what is the advantage, if there is any. So, uh, well, but again, through, when we get the hate transport, mail, we'll ask them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but to see two transporters heading north on Interstate 81 in southern Virginia, loaded with these cars with all these canted in wheels, it was just, <laughs> it was crazy. It's a crazy scene. Well, oh, well, uh, the, uh, you know, every time you go somewhere, you, you find something to see when you're driving, um, you know, like, Last year, when you were traveling to Charlotte, there were many cows, miniature right. cows, Mini right? Cow. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen many cows before, but uh, yeah, just crazy, man. <laughs> so, oh well, ah, that's what makes the hobby. Yeah. You know, there's all various facets of the hobby, and it's pretty cool. We yeah, enjoy it either way. Like yeah, I mean, you know, you got to think about it. There are people out there who enjoy Renault Dauphins, so or as we call them here in the states, Renault Dauphins. Uh, Renault. You know, <laughs> there are people out there that love Renault Dauphins. Now, boy, I, I'm sure that's irritating the heck out of people. No, it's Renault. It's a Dauphin. So, uh, but I had a cousin that had one. Um, he hit a uh, expansion joint in the middle of winter up in Jersey, driving the thing. And this was up into the 70s, so it had some age on it. And uh, it, it literally started breaking half. He couldn't get out because the doors were <laughs> the doors were jammed shut, and he had to crawl out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to come pick it up. <laughs> that was the era where they barely painted the undersides of cars. You know, undercoating was unheard of. So, uh, yeah, a lot of those things just rusted away, especially especially the Italian cars. Because what I found out years ago, I did some research on why a lot of Italian cars from the fifties and early sixties rusted so bad is because. Italy being such a poor country post-war, they used uh, metal that was cheaper. And the reason it was cheaper was because it had a high iron ore content. So any time the humidity went 50% or above, it would immediately start rusting. So it was that high iron ore content that, that is in, impregnated in all the original metal of Italian cars in the post-war era. So... Uh, yeah, there's always reasons why, you know, certain cars rush and others don't. I mean, look at the American cars from uh, from Detroit in the 50s. It, it was only minor corrosion. Period. Because we used well, steel. Well, with, with, with the exception of the, of the late 50s, uh, what, like 57 forward, uh, at forward, oh. look, Chrysler's 57 and forward. Right. Uh, man, those things rusted. I had a 57 New Yorker and it was not a northern car but yeah it had rust everywhere yeah um, but yeah you're, you're right it really does you know remember you know it depends on what country it comes from and everything I, 
gosh, years ago, I went to look at a Seata, and I opened the door, and I bumped into it. This true story. I, the guy that owns the car standing there, of course, the car wasn't you know running, but I opened the door, I, and then I bumped into it, and when I did, it fell off halfway. The top end. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Was it a Theata Spring? The one yes. that looks like an MG? Yeah, yeah. Figured as much. Yeah, don't, don't, those, <laughs> well, what, oh, they were, they were, they were poorly assembled. <laughs> now, talk about an embarrassing moment. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to end up having to buy this car because this guy's going to accuse me of, you know, ripping the door off of it. Um, actually, he Ooh, started he- laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Muscle man, he's so strong, he ripped my door off. <laughs> I, uh, the, uh, so, are you rested up from Hershey? I think I'm finally back together, back to my normal sweet self after Hershey. Uh, well, unloading all the stuff that I brought back. Not a lot of stuff, but some cool stuff. Yeah. No, I, I had a busy week. Wednesday, I drove down to Atlanta. And I photographed a 52 Pontiac, a 58 Pontiac Bonneville, and a 60 Imperial four-door sedan for the next issue of Frank Sheriff. And so that was an all-day affair driving again. And now tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., I hit the road again, and we're heading to Vermont to pick up our granddaughters, who we are adopting and bringing down to Tennessee on Tuesday. They're four and six, and I know many people know the story what happened, but, yeah, it's like my butt is going to be flat by the end of uh, next week from being doing all this driving, going to Hershey, coming home, going to Atlanta. You know, two weeks before Hershey, I drove to Des Moines, Iowa. It's like, oh, hey, I'm tired of driving. <laughs> well, you know, and I, I, you know, that second, you know, the Des Moines, Iowa deal, I mean, we... You and I had gone up there, uh, up to Iowa, what, two weeks, three weeks before? And then you had to go back and rerun the same exact route, practically. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah, crazy yeah. summer. Totally looking forward crazy, to this yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this winter and catching up on some reading of my magazines and doing some work in the garage before it gets too cold. Although I do have a heater in the garage, a gas heater, so that will help. But, uh, yeah, it's just a crazy time. So we hit the road tomorrow to Vermont, and uh, I'll be back in Tennessee on Tuesday. Great. So you're not you're not taking the Mini Cooper to go pick up the kids, so... Uh... No, I'm renting a minivan. In fact, I'll be picking it up as soon as the show is over today and getting it ready. And once I do that, I head over to Nyland Stadium, the University of Tennessee. This afternoon, I'll be at the game where the Bulls play Texas A&M, the Aggies. So uh, that's going to be a nice afternoon. And, uh, yeah. yeah, crazy world, crazy world, crazy life. Well, I'll, I will be thinking about you on Monday. Uh, that's what you'll pick up the girls and suddenly you'll be peepaw 
right? People. That, that, that's what you are in, in Tennessee. Now that you're in Tennessee, you're going to be right? <laughs> people, right? People. And I'll be bringing them to Chocolate World on the way home. We're going to stop in Hershey on Tuesday. So, uh, hey, girls, this is the chocolate field, and that's the green field, and this is where my friend Tom sets up his tent. <laughs> <laughs> Well, God, God bless you guys. I'll be thinking about you. And, uh, Thank you. You know, I, I'll uh, I'll uh, be available for emotional support. So there you go. <laughs> so what's going on so, in the old car world? Well, so I continue to str- <laughs> continue to struggle with the '73 American Motors Ambassador. You know, this car is the epitome of the project that just keeps giving, you know? We all talk about it. You get involved, oh, I'm just going to do a few things, just do a little restoration here, and put it on the road. It's not going to be a big deal, right? I mean, everybody's been there. So (laughs) I started on this car. For those who haven't heard about the Ambassador, which I affectionately call the Ambo, all of the affections running out, I must say. Uh, but I bought this car accidentally at an auction. I've re- I mean it. I I just bid on this car because I thought, you know what, I want to be alerted to the closing of the auction. And if you bid on something and then you get outbid, then the auction company typically sends you all this clickbait so that you stay involved in the auction. And I wanted to be reminded because there were some really great literature and stuff in this former AMC dealer's auction. Um, it was a fairly small auction. So I just bid on this car. It was the opening bid. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to get outbid because the bid is way too low. And it's a decent car. So time came for the auction to close. I'm going through, I'm buying the literature, I'm getting great deals, and I notice that the car is still there, and it says I'm the high bidder still. Get down to three minutes out, and I'm like, well, I guess everybody's waiting until the last minute to snatch it out from under me, which was okay. And then it got down to a minute. I'm like, well, gosh, they're really cutting it close. Oh, gosh, and we're right up on a break. Hold the suspense. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected.
J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. Well, we're, we're back, and uh, everybody was hanging on, filled with suspense. So I ended up buying the car because the auction closed and nobody else bid on it. That just goes to show you never know what's going to happen in an auction. So I, I ended up with the car, and you know, I've, I've been through everything. Fuel system, tank, gas tank, sending units, brakes, brake lines, rebuilt the calipers, uh, on and on, master cylinder, uh, on and on and on and on. Just something and then I thought you know what I'm right here I'm at the end of the road engine had always turned over turned over freely but in keeping with my advice I pulled the valve covers make sure I'd lubed everything up pulled the valve covers pulled the spark plugs to lubricate everything because this car's been sitting since 1983 and when I did I noticed that one of the rocker arms was just sitting really, really loose. And I'm thinking, eh, there's a lifter that's collapsed. So, lo and behold, I, I rotate the engine, and yeah, lifter was collapsed. I, my next thought is, okay, why is the lifter collapsed? Well, the lifter's probably collapsed because that valve is sticking. Number one exhaust is sticking from having been in storage for so long. Exactly what I tell people and exactly what I preach. You know, you got to lube this stuff up and check it because if you go to just try to start it after it's been sitting all these years, you're going to create problems for yourself. So, guess what? The auction company had gone to try to start the car. And when they did, a couple of valves were stuck, bent a couple of push rods, and it collapsed the one lifter, of course, because it's just turning over. And I thought, well, no big deal. I can replace the push rods. I can, you know, the lifter will probably pump up, yada, yada. I'll just bump this valve, these valves a little bit, which they were looped up, and they'll free up. Not so on number one. So now you got to pull the heads off, because if you're going to pull one head, you might as well pull both heads. Do it all while you're there. So... Now I'm thinking, well, gosh, I, I was going to replace the water pump anyway. we got to replace the water pump. So now I need to do the, I should probably do the timing chain and uh, cam gear while I'm in there. And I don't know. It just keeps spiraling out of control. Uh, it's like the never-ending project. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy it, but my God, will it ever end? Well, you know... We can make jokes about it being an AMC, but that has nothing to do with it. It was the fact that <laughs> it 
it, it, it wasn't running for so many years and it just laid there. You know, corrosion begins in the middle of the engine and, and then all these knuckleheads at some of these companies, they don't even know what they're doing and they just start things up thinking as if it was, you know, started yesterday. And uh, they're the ones that actually ruined the engine. It has nothing to do with it being an AMC. It's these knuckleheads that know nothing about cars. Oh, yeah. No, it, it, it's true. It's back just the other weekend, I was talking to a friend of mine who he and I both had gone through and checked out an auction prior to it happening. In fact, I, I got a special dispensation from the auctioneer to go in early. I walk into the place, and there are all these cars, uh, MGTDs, MGTFs, all sitting there in this warehouse and they've been sitting there for at least five six seven eight years the smell of rotten fuel permeates the air you know that whole type of situation mildew on the upholstery and here are these guys in there with all these jump packs and cans of starter fluid trying to start these cars I didn't say anything, but I wanted to say, what exactly in the hell do you think you're going to accomplish, okay? You're going to pump all that bad fuel through the system if the pump still works, and you're going to inject it into the engine, into all the working parts. It's not going to start because you probably don't have any uh, ignition at all, no fire, etc., etc. And they're just cranking away on these things. And, and hitting them with starter fluids. One of them did cough, but when it did, it the starter fluid, there was so much of it in there that it sounded like a diesel when it first hit. And, of course, that's horrible for the engine, creates all sorts of damage. So, yeah, a lot of yo-yos out there, so you got to be careful. But, yeah, so yeah, that's what I've been doing. I, I've been pulling, pulling that apart. Great. Yeah, what these knuckleheads don't even realize, because they don't know anything about mechanics, is that you have an engine that sits for several years. There is no lubrication. There is no oil film on those cylinders. And you have, you know, corrosion and rust taking place on the piston rings, and they're kind of frozen now, and they're not going to flex open and close. You know, you have that little piston ring gap. And you are now immediately, and there's probably dirt inside the engine now, because eventually it does make its way in. As soon as you start it, because there's no oil film and no lubrication on those cylinder walls, you're scratching the cylinder walls. And you're going to put gouges in them, if, you know, a tiny gouge is enough to lower the compression ratio in that particular cylinder. And you're just, you're just ruining the engine. So, uh, yeah, it's just crazy how things work. You know, you got to take those spark plugs out. You got to shoot in fogging oil or something like that, and then you uh, turn the engine over with the spark plugs out to get things lubricated without any pressure on the pistons. And you know, once you get that oil out, then you put the fresh plugs in with, with new gas, and then you start it the proper way. But you know, for some people, that's way too much work. They don't want to do that. Just start it and get rid of it. Knuckles. Oh, yeah. Hey. Ha- happens a lot, a lot. Yeah. Um, so, you, speaking of fogging oil and, and fall, 
here we are in fall, yeah. and that's where we're living. Up north, Maine, Vermont, uh, New Hampshire, up there where you are headed tomorrow, the winter has already begun. You know, I, I'm not sure that they've had any snow yet, but it wouldn't be unusual for them to have snow, which means a lot of the collector cars <coughs> going back into storage for winter. Yep. Yep. And, and some people just park them. They just leave them there till you know, come April or May, and that's not good either. There's certain precautions you need to take if you want to make sure that that you know all is well and the engine starts up properly come spring. So, what are some of the precautions that you would do if you were, you know, living in the Great White North and you had to put your Hudsons away for the winter? What, what would you? What precautions? <laughs> puts a smile on my face just thinking about tuck, tucking happy little Hudsons away for the winter time. You know, for their little hibernation. Um, warms my heart. happy little. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so one of the things that I think most people fail to address, and for many years I failed to address as well, flat spots on your tires. After only a couple of months sitting in one spot on the concrete, you can end up with flat spots on the tire. And there are several ways you can get around it. One, of course, you could do like you do, move them around a little bit every few weeks. Doesn't yep. have to be a lot, just some. Um, right. Or you can now go to, like, they have these ramps that are specially designed to keep the cars from developing flat, flat spots. And, you know, while I've engineering student. I haven't quite yet taken the time to figure out exactly how these things work, but they do. You can get a set of four of these Max Tire Saver ramps, and there's several brands out there, but for only $129 bucks at, at your friendly uh, Walmart online um, store. $129 for four of those. And you just simply drive your car onto them. They're really flat. They're not, when they say that they're ramps, that conjures up images of, you know, the old ramps that you used to use to change your oil and all that sort of jazz when you didn't have a lift. But um, they're fairly low profile, just a couple inches high, and you drive the car onto them. And it keeps, keeps them from getting flat spots. The other thing you can do, you always, whether using the ramp or not, always... Check a sidewall of your tire. Look at what the maximum allow pressure is and inflate your tires to the maximum shown on the sidewall of the tire. That will help a lot to keep from developing flat spots. But run it all the way up to max inflation and then drive it up onto the ramps or inflate the tires to maximum and... Go somewhere, get yourself some nice deep pile carpet, maybe some shag left over from the late 70s, and cut it into squares and drive the car up onto the carpet. That accomplishes the same thing, too. And on the cheap, it just doesn't look as cool as having these little uh, 
ramps in place. You know, people will be looking at you and thinking, you know what you're doing. You put old carpet in there, it's like, you know, what are you afraid of your tires touching the ground or what? But um, that works really well. Um, other thing, filling your tank. Yeah. No, we're up on a break. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783. Or visit jctaylor.com slash awr drive through time with peace of mind jc taylor and don't forget that after the classic car show is the classic auto mall and uh be coming to you at 10 a.m eastern time and it's a great show talking about lots of cars in a 360,000 square foot mall and um now, keeping the tires from going flat or going or, or getting a bad spot, a, that's a lot of cars to keep moving around and or putting carpet under. But anyway, stay tuned for the Classic Car Auto Mall show right after the Classic Car Show. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And now, back to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. So we were talking about, you know, trying to prevent flat spots. We talked about Richard's inexpensive means of moving his car back and forth. And uh, he probably parks his car on old used newspapers or something. So, but you don't want to necessarily do that because, of course, they absorb moisture, even though they're cheap. Um, but fill the tank up. And a lot of people I talk to, they're like, "Well, I really did. I don't need to fill the tank up because I use a fuel treatment. You know, whether it's Stabil." Or my favorite is uh, Startron Enzymatic Fuel Stabilizer. comes in a bottle. It's blue, and uh, it's about 6 bucks. But it works better than any of the others that I've tried, for me anyways. Some people use uh, Stabil Marine, which is 
formulated, I suppose, to uh, keep the fuel fresh longer. It's just a more concentrated, more expensive. But you'll want to fill the tank up because if you don't, it allows air space in your tank. And if you have air space in the tank, it allows for condensation. The change in temperature from day to night will allow, and just the natural changes in temperature from, you know, fronts moving in and out and so forth, it causes condensation. The condensation drips down, gets into the tank. It combines with the ethanol that's in our fuels these days. And it creates formic acid, and it starts to eat everything up and get all gunked up. And, you know, all that stuff will get through your fuel system, into your carburetor, your fuel injectors, whatever you have, and it'll make a mess. So what I suggest is, if you can find it, non-ethanol fuel, make that last tank at least the last tank, a tank full of pure gas, no ethanol. And if you search it, there's a site called Pure Gas and it will tell you where the nearest station is to you to get pure, non-ethanol-laced fuel. Still, you want to put a a fuel stabilizer in there to keep it from breaking down because fuel doesn't stay fresh very long. I I remember the first time I found out that it takes just merely a few months for it to start degrading significantly, so I was pretty pretty surprised. Uh, And then the other thing, which is super easy intuitive, but do they do it? Wash clean and wax it before you put it away. Just go through wash clean and give it a nice coat of wax. Yeah, you want to get some of those, you know, contaminants off the paint that will eventually, you know, make their way into the top surface of the paint, and then come spring, you'll see little, you know, sometimes you see little, uh, I guess, bubbles teeny tiny and uh that could lead to rust and who knows what so yeah a good coat of wax not polish a good coat of wax and uh you know if if you need uh non-ethanol gas and you live near bucky's go to bucky's they got non-ethanol gas so (laughs) oh we love bucky's and we love bucky's so uh (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, that whole thing with, uh, with uh, the preservatives, gas tank preservatives. I did that years ago with my Ford LTD, and because uh, I wasn't going to use it over the winter. That's when I lived in Vermont. And then uh, come spring, I went to start it, and it just wouldn't start at all. I had to drain all the gas out. So maybe I got a bad batch of it. I don't know. But uh, ever since then, I stopped using it. So who knows? Sometimes it works, sometimes I've, it doesn't. Yeah, I've, I've had exceptional luck with Startron and in power equipment, too. Uh, I have, you know, I know it's shocking, but I have several tractors up here and, you know, got chainsaws and brush cutters and all that sort of jazz up here on the mountain just so that I can, you know, we can live up here without uh, being in a jungle. And there's a lot of it that I don't necessarily use all the time. And using the fuel stabilizer has really saved me a lot of time because before I started using it, I used to have to go into the fuel systems and 
cleaning them out and so on and so forth. Things would get plugged up just from fuel gelling up and et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, with diesel, you use, you know, like diesel 911 or another additive in there. But, um, but yeah, no, I've had really good luck with it. Um, the other thing, clean the inside of the car out. I, lots of people, myself included, leave stuff inside the car. You know, you forget about that pack of crackers that you left in the uh, glove compartment or in the console. And guess what? Mr. Mousy wants to come to town. He wants your yep. crackers. And once he runs out of the crackers, what does he want? He wants wiring and insulation. That's what he wants. Uh, sadly, that happens all too frequently. Um, and then, you know, sometimes if the, mouse, if the mouse doesn't get it, then you have mold. And that's not good either. But one last thing about fuel systems, either before you put the car, or when you put the car away, or before you start it for the first time in the spring, change the fuel filter. You know, those those little tiny fuel filters that you get at Hershey, three for five dollars. Uh, change the fuel filter because there's so many contaminants in there. So, uh, and, and, you know, bad gas that is laying in there too. So, uh, that's another thing you got to consider, the fuel filter. It's cheap insurance. Yeah, it is. The other thing that's cheap insurance, relatively speaking, and I, I've been watching the price of a, you know, they say we don't have any inflation. My God, a good uh, quart of oil fire. is now 7 to $10. Amazing. 7 right. to 10 bucks for, for oil. Overnight, it, it seems, within the last year, year and a half, I don't know, but it's really gone up. It's so, we understand, it's not as cheap. But you know what? Before you put your car away, change the oil, change your filter, gets rid of all the contaminants that have built up in the uh, oil during driving time. And honestly, if you're not driving a lot, you produce more contaminants that actually settle out in the engine, cause corrosion, etc. So you don't want that happening. Just change the oil, change the filter. Uh, you want to take either. So if you don't have an outlet near your vehicle when you put it into storage, take the battery out. I just put it on a piece of cardboard somewhere, clean the top, and, and put it away and put it on a trickle charger. Or if you have an outlet, put it on a trickle charger in the car. Always remove the negative terminal and remove the negative terminal first. Less chance of, uh, of it arcing and creating a problem. I have had hydrogen gas from a battery catch on fire when I have used jumper cables before. I didn't do it the right way, couldn't find a good ground spot on the engine, so, you know, and you're never supposed to connect both both cables to the terminals on the battery. And I did it, and I knew I was doing it, and I knew it was dumb. And when I did it, it was this was an older vintage uh, battery um, reproduction, but had the spin-on caps, and it shot a little blue flame out of the top of one of those caps. I was lucky it didn't blow up and, and cover me with that. Wow. So, yeah, you, you, you got to be got to be careful. There's some moisture um, absorbing 
assortment of products that you can buy at your local hardware store. Um, generally, they come in what looks like a milk carton or a little tub. You can sort of set them inside. That will absorb any moisture. Again, most of it coming from condensation and temperature change. And put that in and check it, and it absorbs the water, and the water will actually end up in the tub. Take that, dump it out periodically, and put more of it in there. That'll keep you from getting all that mold and mildew that Rich was talking about. Um, speaking of speaking of water, don't forget the radiator. Make sure you got you know <laughs> antifreeze. Make sure you got you know your proper mix of antifreeze because you know when I lived in Vermont, uh, I didn't have I, I I just rebuilt the engine on my Ford. It was a three hundred two and. Uh, I didn't have enough antifreeze, and then winter came in, and in Vermont, you know, it would get down to zero degrees many nights, if not lower, and then come spring, I see water on the floor underneath, and it popped a uh, freeze plug out, so you got to make sure you have the right mix of uh, antifreeze uh, in that radiator, because you don't want things to crack, so... Anti, Another thing you anti, got to anti freeze in the radiator. Anti, I got it. Anti freeze, right. like anti M from uh, Wizard of Oz. Anti M. <laughs> I'll get I'll get you to talk the right way sooner or later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, so yeah, yeah. Definitely check check the uh, strength of your antifreeze mix that's in your radiator. Radiator, <laughs> because as Rich says, you don't want to put it away weak and then end up with a problem because you have a hard freeze. Um, gosh, it's been—I don't know, maybe ten years ago—but we had that really, really, really cold winter here on the mountain. It was actually sixteen below one night, which is unheard of. It was kind of cool because I would take boiling water in a pot and then throw it into the air and it would turn into snow, which was kind of cool. So we didn't have that sort of entertainment like you guys did up north. But uh, use a hydrometer. That's the one with the little floating balls. That's the cheapest way. Or if you want to do something that's a little more uh, specific, just a little more accurate, you can use a uh, refractometer, which you just put a few drops in there and it measures the conference concentration of the coolant coolant, uh, antifreeze in there by the refraction of light and it's more involved than we want to get into but uh, those cost only about 15 bucks so you can get the hydrometer with floating balls is about eight bucks eight bucks no way think of it as half price (laughs) let me tell you something growing up in brooklyn nobody used a hydrometer the only time you use something like that was the, was you know to test you know the turkey on Thanksgiving, make sure it was cooked right. You know, you throw in some antifreeze and boom, you're done. You don't have to worry about the correct mixture, eighteen to one ratio, thirty-two to one, blah blah blah. That's a bunch of crap. Just throw in antifreeze, circulate it, done. That's it. Hydrometer. You're wasting money. Just, just look look at the color, right? You know? Yeah. Look at the color. That's it. 
starting the car and letting it run at least 12 to 15 minutes. And why do we say let it run 12 to 15 minutes? You'll need to run it that long to bring it all the way up to operating temperature so that all the moisture that's created when you first do your startup is out of your exhaust system, it's out of your engine, um, it's all evaporated and gone away. Because otherwise, you start it up, got condensation, you turn it off, and all of that condensation is going to be even amplified. And that's going to cause rust, corrosion, etc. That is like our main enemy, rust and corrosion. So we don't need any of that. We have enough rusty crap without creating more. Um, but, what, you know, yeah. if it's rained outside, you know, if you've had a really good hard rain, it's not beyond me to get out and drive my car in the wintertime. Um, they say you should probably drive your car every two to three weeks, you know. Now, do you, what do you put underneath your car? Do you put a nice oriental rug? Or do you put, you know, some remnant that you could get at Home Depot? Or you just let it sit on top concrete, which is like the worst thing you could do. What do you do? I just use a sheet of plastic. Okay, that works. Because, you know, concrete has all kinds of moisture, and it just, you know, rises out of the concrete during the winter time and gets into your, the bottom of your, un, you know, your car's undercarriage. So I, I usually push remnants of carpeting, and that seems to work well. You know, I don't mind spending the few extra bucks like you. You know, you go cheap with a piece of plastic. Uh, so maybe you, you put you the bought piece an of plastic oriental rug. Well, you know, you put the piece of plastic on, on, on the ground, and then you put, you know, a carpeted remnant on top of that. That's like double protection. So that's what you should do. But, yeah, always put a rag in the tailpipe. But sometimes those little rodents will get into the tailpipe, and they bring in nuts and all kinds of crap. And before you know it, you go to start your car up, and it sounds like, you know, the muffler's filled with a bunch of BBs. And then they piss in there, and the urine just, you know, just, it it rots the steel of the muffler. So, uh yeah, you got to take a lot of precautions. You really do. Yeah. Such as I do. I like to drive. You know, Christmas time, not recently, but years ago, I went out with the convertible, whichever convertible I had at the time. I put the top down. I didn't care how cold it was. I just turned the heat on, and I would go get a Christmas tree. And I had a blanket laid in the back, and I would put the tree in the back seat and and drive home, but I, I love the opportunity to drive in the wintertime. It's kind of fun. Plus, you listen to the whir of the heater blower and all that really good heat, if everything's set up correctly, that you've got in the car, and it's just cozy. Nothing better than going out and looking at uh, Christmas lights in your old car. And I realize, of course, some of you guys up north, you know, you've got salt upon salt upon salt, and you can't get out. But if you have a really heavy rain, maybe then it's safe for you to go out and, and, and drive the car. And one more thing, you know, if your car has air conditioning, turn on the air conditioner when, when you're running the car in the winter so you could get a lot of that yes. moisture. 
out of the condenser and everything else. So that's important, too. You don't have to leave the AC running for 15 minutes. Just, you know, let it run for a few minutes just every now and then. And uh, just like just like in the summer, you want to put the heater on in your car, like I do all the time, you know. Uh, you get rid of moisture. The other thing you can do as well, you know, people, you know, we were talking about the flat spots. I just forgot this. Of course, it's the obvious. I think it's the most inconvenient way because if you want to get your car back out for any reason or move it, having jack sand is a big pain in the butt. But a lot of people use jack stands, too. Um, they do. But any, anyhow, so apart from buying mousetraps, adopting a cat, um, Filling your tank up, all of those things. We were thinking of, we, we were just talking about what kind of car, if you had, had like the dream date of your life and ah, you had, it, yeah, so the old, start it right. off. So, so <laughs> let's say you had, let's say you had a posh upscale dinner party. I wish they probably wouldn't invite me anyway, but let's say I was, or you, you know. Every now and then, they would have a hillbilly at a posh, you know, party. And you meet this really attractive woman, and then you talk to her, and you find out she's like a billionaire. The woman has, you know, apartments in Fifth Avenue, Manhattan, Miami Beach, in Paris. She's wealthy beyond wealthy. There's no way you could impress her. But what the heck? You asked her out for a date. She says yes. What car would you pick her up in to impress her? So we talked about this, and I've continued to think about it. I don't know if you – I don't think you could guess this one. You might, but I don't think you could. So, you know, if if you're that – well off, you're not going to be impressed by a Porsche or Maserati or perhaps even a Ferrari, maybe even a Bugatti. It's not going to impress impress someone that sees that stuff, maybe drives it all the time. So, what would you want to? What would you bring to impress somebody? Uh, spend a fair amount of time, too much time thinking about this <laughs> thanks a lot for talking and bringing it up okay so I decided the one car that would just blow everyone else's doors off without question would get stares people thumbs up I mean you would think you were the uh, well I was going to say you'd think you were the President of the United States, but I'm not going to go there. Uh, we haven't had very good presidents so lately, so we'll skip that one. So, I don't know, you're Leonardo DiCaprio. You would think you were Leonardo DiCaprio driving this car because of all the attention and how impressed everybody's going to be. So, you ready? Go ahead. T- Tucker 48. Wow. That's going to blow everybody's doors off. It would. Except one thing. She'll go, what what, what is this? Oh, 
this is nice. Oh, look, it has an extra light in the front. Oh, this is nice. But <laughs> when Lentinello shows up to take this babe out to dinner, she's going to go, oh, my God, your car is A Reno so Caravelle? No, a Nash Metropolitan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nash Metropolitan, yeah. Think about it. The woman is a billionaire. She's surrounded by Rolls Royces and Bentleys and Ferraris. And then she'll see you pull up in this little Nash Metropolitan and she'll go, Oh, that car is so cute. Oh, my God. It's so adorable. Take me for a ride. <laughs> I love the sound effects, you know. They're beginning to scare. They're beginning to scare me. Actually, okay. Take me for a ride, Richard. You're there. Hey. Oh. Yeah. A Nash Metropolitan. Everybody loves Nash. Women love Metropolitan. They think they're so cute. You know, a Tucker's nice. We love Tuckers. We know what they're all about. But. Is that really going to impress, you know, a woman who's, you know, a billionaire? Eh, maybe. Eh. But when she sees a metropolitan, Not- she's going, oh, that's so cute. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know. Um, it's like the, uh, oh, gosh, I can't think of the name of it right off the top of my head. The, uh, oh, my gosh, we've only got 30 seconds left. Good luck on the trip to Vermont. I'm going to be at the Lake Mirror Classic next weekend, and we'll see how all Have that does weekend. if you're in the area. Go there. Have a great weekend, folks. Get off the couch. Get in the garage. Get before it gets too cold. Goodbye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.